Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Tonus here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And if you follow me on Twitter, and if you're listening to this, you probably do, you know I've been kind of getting reamed out a little bit about this uh, Nikola Vucevic trade and my opinions of it, not being a big fan of it in general and thinking it's a, a bad move that's likely to go very much against us. I will say that doesn't mean all options are closed and all doors are closed and we can't do something to, to make the future better. You can make a bad move and, and make other good moves to, to pull out of them. This was a pretty significant move. A lot of assets were shifted, which means if it ends up being a bad move and it ends up being significantly bad, it would be harder to shift out of than, than another move where you uh, shifted less assets. You know, Certainly, the Troy Brown and Daniel Gafford trade might end up also being a bad move, but like, you didn't shift major assets there, so it, it's going to be easy to recover from most likely, even if it did turn out to be a bad move. The Vucevic trade will be a little bit tougher if it doesn't go our way. And now, so first, I'd like to kind of walk you through why... I feel the way I feel about this trade. You know, certainly leave uh, opinions open as to, to how things can go out. There's no smooth curve or absolute way things can go. And I'll also say, look, I'm a Bulls fan. I want this to work. I'm not out sitting here thinking like, man, I hope I'm right. I want to convince you I'm right, boy. Uh, I want the Bulls to lose to prove how right I am. I, I, absolutely not. I hope that we can all sit back and laugh about how stupid Doug is in, in a year and a half. That would be the ultimate scenario here. So I know some people love to, to put out an opinion and then they actually start rooting against their team because they're rooting for their opinion to be right. Not so. Uh, I hope I am proven completely wrong. And I do think there is a window that that is possible. It could happen. I just, uh, this, is, this is how I view it. So the first thing I want to do is I want to establish success criteria. And my success criteria here is, can the Bulls make the second round of the playoffs? I'm not a championship or bust guy. There's no part of me that thinks you have to win a title for your team to be fun to watch or successful. If you are a championship or bust guy, then I think you probably really dislike this move or should really dislike this move because I think it lowers our, our odds of that pretty considerably. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But I don't think that you have to be that type of person. I'm not that type of person. And if you are, your sports experience is probably pretty bad, like in general, right? I mean... Very few times does your team win a title. And if you're not happy, except when those times happen, you are probably not happy real often in the sports world. So, you know, for me, some of my favorite seasons are team are seasons where the team took a big leap forward. And I was excited about the future and the journey I was going to take the 2004-05 Bulls season for those long-time Bulls fans who've been listening to this show. You know that's like my favorite season of all time. And they won 47 games. And that team ultimately didn't even end up going anywhere. It was kind of a, a team that had a lot of hope and expectations and then just sort of imploded and never went anywhere. But, you know, for a while, I was like, man, we have four or five guys who are all really young. Like this, this could be the, the building of a, a dynasty. This could be an amazing team, you know, and it didn't happen that way. And, you know, more, more sad that it didn't, but it was a, an amazing season. And there's other seasons that were, were great and enjoyable to watch. The season where Joakim Noah played basically point guard and averaged over five assists a game and got some MVP votes. And uh, we beat the Brooklyn Nets in the, the first round of the playoffs. And I mean, that was an amazing season. It was a fun season. So it doesn't always have to be championship or bust. I, uh, second round of the playoffs, though, for me, is my deterministic criteria for success. And so for those of you who, who don't know, I, I am a economic and uh, fi uh, finance and computer science background person. So I, I study uh, a lot of uh, economics and and computer science algorithms uh, together. And so when you look at like economic theory, I'm going to apply some of that uh, into why I feel this trade doesn't work. And, and hopefully that will, you know, kind of make people understand a little bit where I'm coming from, whether you still disagree or not, of course, it will be up to you. 
so first, I want to talk about like when you are trying to make a really big gain, you're trying to make a big improvement. And I'm going gonna, gonna to talk about this financially for a second. Say you have $100 and in a week you have to have uh, $1,000. You have to make 10 times your money in a week. And you start thinking about how am I going to do that? How am I going to make 10 times my money in one week? It's, it's like very hard, right? If we could easily turn $100 into $1,000, we just repeat the process over and over. And you know, before too long, we'd be millionaires and we would no longer worry about money. So this is obviously something that uh, cannot be done in a repeatable fashion. Uh, it's something that's going to require a lot of luck. And uh, you know, there's like certain ways that you could try to do it and you'll probably fail. You probably won't be successful, but there are certain techniques you would try that would give you the best chance to turn $100 into $1,000 know, and, and get 10 times your money. And so when you start looking at what the bulls are trying to do, that's actually very similar to be, being a very bad team and becoming a really great team, right? Like we're not trying to make a 5% gain here. We're not trying to just become 5% better than we were. If we're a 30-win team, you know, we're not trying to become a 32-win team you know, are 10% better. What we're really trying to do is ramp up to like a 50, 50 win team and, you know, become much, much better. And in basketball, you know, it's, it's not exactly, you can't become 10 times as many wins. There's just not that many games in the season, but you're trying to make like an order of magnitude uh, of leap forward in your quality, which is similar to this type of situation. And so you start looking at this and really what you need to do is you need to have uh, high risk, high reward assets that the risk pans out that you guess correctly on. And that come due. And so if you were doing this in the financial world, uh, we could name some high risk, high reward assets. You could say like a lottery ticket right now, a lottery ticket would be if you were trying to turn a dollar or $10 into like a hundred million dollars, like, and, and your odds are obviously extraordinarily low of that happening. It's not really trying to make 10 times your money. So a lottery ticket probably isn't something that's too high risk. And, and the reward is really, really high, obviously, but we're not trying to chase that type of reward here. Uh, and so that's probably a bad example. Now what you might look at is something like a stock option where you can definitely make 10 times your money uh, pretty easily and, and maybe even a high risk stock. Maybe you don't even have to go with an option. You could trade commodities. You could trade cryptocurrency. Uh, these are a lot of ways where like, yeah, in one week, if you pick the right thing, you could see a, a swing of 10 times your money and you probably won't. You could also lose all of your money in this case too. And so you would pick a high risk, high reward asset. That's how you would make this leap forward. And so now when we look at like Nikola Vucevic, he's not a high risk, high reward asset, right? Like we, we kind of know who, who Nikola Vucevic is at this point in his career. He's been in the league for 10 years. He's 30. Uh, he's probably not going to improve past the point he is right now. And he's probably actually going to start to decline and go the other direction. So you know that this is actually kind of a conservative asset. This is an asset where you know what you're getting. You paid a lot for it. You, you paid like fair market value, I think, for it and giving up two picks that one of them highly likely to be a lottery pick, even when we made the trade. And it, it looks even more likely today to be a lottery pick. And the other one, who knows what will happen in a couple of years. It'll depend what other moves we're able to make and things like that. Uh, and a starting caliber player or a guy who I think projects into a starting caliber player in Wendell Carter Jr., you know, that's how I look at it, a young player who projects into a starting caliber. Now, I think Wendell doesn't have tremendous upside at this point in his career. We've watched him for a while, struggled to stay healthy. I wouldn't say is zero upside. Like, it wouldn't shock me if Wendell became a top 10 center. Uh, I don't expect that to happen, but it wouldn't shock me. Like, I think there's still a possibility that could happen. So when I look at Wendell and I start thinking, what am I actually giving up here? I'm, I'm giving up a guy I probably project out to be, say, the 15th to 20th best center in the league and someone who can hold down a starting spot, but isn't going to give me like a big competitive advantage, but can chew up lots of minutes and kind of contribute in a number of ways. You know, he's decent on defense, decent on offense. I think that's kind of like who he's going to be. He's not going to be a shot initiator or anything like that, but he'll, he'll give me some efficient points and he'll, he'll be solid defensively and, and, and be a guy that's got decent versatility, you know, a solid starting player. And, and, and that's kind of it. Maybe a guy that can chew up 28 minutes, 30 minutes a game 
in a couple of years. And, and obviously there's a chance he could become much less than that. He's not at that level now. So we are projecting, you know, how he'll continue to grow as time goes on. And, and who knows, clearly there's some confidence issues and stuff like that with Wendell. So that's what we gave up. We gave up at least one lottery pick, a guy who probably projects into a starting caliber setter, but like a lower rung one, not a high rung one. And then another pick to be figured out later. Like, yeah, you know, it's too early to say, if I had to guess, I'd say the bulls make the first round of the playoffs in 2023. And that pick is probably worth uh, the 15th, 16th pick in the draft. I think there'll be a low-rung playoff team at that point in time. So if I were guessing, I would say it's either going to be a high lottery pick, we'll say like 12, uh, maybe like 11 or or higher, and, and probably it won't be worse than 20th. Like if they're a playoff team, I don't think they'll be uh, better than, than 10 other teams in the league. So somewhere between 11 and 20 or so would probably be where that pick lands. And, and so that's kind of what we end up giving up. And those are some decent assets. And so uh, I want to then go through a, a few of the different things that people say in general about why these things don't matter. There are just different narratives people put out there and why these narratives really aren't accurate. And so the first one, and this gets back to our economic theory, is these picks don't matter. Like we had a bunch of number seven picks and what did we ever get out of them? Nothing. And so here's the deal with these picks. They have like a 10% chance or so of being game-changing. You know, like you have a 10% chance of drafting the next Steph Curry and like, you know, maybe it's like a 50% chance of drafting the next Wendell Carter or Larry Markkinen who are like role players. So there'll be guys who will have, you know, careers in the league for a long time but aren't really moving the needle in any way. And you maybe got like another 30% chance of drafting a guy that's worse than that and really does like almost nothing for you. And so, yeah, there's a good chance you're not going to get anything. Maybe 10% the next Steph Curry is a stretch, but, you know, 10% of a, an impact player, say like Damian Lillard or uh, Jamal Murray, you know, like guys like that, uh, Donovan Mitchell. Like, you know, look at, if you look around the league and you look at the good teams, most of them are built through the draft, and about 50% of those are built through the draft without ever getting like a really high draft pick. You know, the Warriors were built without ever having a high draft pick. Steph Curry at number seven was their highest draft pick. The Jazz, Donovan Mitchell was their highest draft pick of guys that are important on their team. And Jamal Murray was the highest draft pick of the guys important on the Nuggets. And so like teams can build in, in the draft without ever getting these high draft picks. You know, Giannis changed the Bucks franchise forever. Uh, Kawhi Leonard was a huge pick for the Spurs and those guys were picked at 15. So, you know, you don't always need to pick at the top. Now, about half of the impact draft picks are at the top and our protection will give us a shot at those players still. And there are some players that we feel are high impact in this draft. And so it is very good uh, that we got that protection this year. If we didn't have this 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 trade could absolutely be a massive, massive train wreck. But having that protection did did limit like how bad this can go. So I think that was obviously obviously done intentionally, you know, and I think made sense. So good move. I'm glad we did it. But it doesn't offer full protection. Half of these guys who end up being really big impact players aren't people who people feel will be impact players before they're drafted and they develop into them. Like that's just how the draft goes. It's hard to project who's going to be a great player, and and we all know that. So uh, you know, you start looking at like this like how you how you figure out how you improve your team and like i said you want to have assets that are high risk high reward and draft picks are high risk high reward you know i just described in this case like there's probably like a 10 percent draft chance that this pick is going to be someone that's extremely high reward and you'll have that player under control usually for around seven to nine seasons after you draft them because of restricted free agency uh, depending if they want an option year at seven years so they can like redo a contract at that point or or how that goes more players are doing that but you have control for a very long time and then typically that first max salary is also below the the 10-year vet max and that you end up getting a very good salary situation out of it too so there's there's a lot of reasons why draft picks that become really good are the basis of teams that become very elite and so you know getting that franchise changing players a huge huge boon uh, for a team if it happens. And so those are high risk, high reward assets. Even when you get them in the 10 to 15 range, 
Uh, there are star players that are drafted in that range fairly regularly. It's not the majority. It's a small amount of them, but it's high risk, high reward. And then that reward is very high because you have longevity uh, of control of the player on a cheap deal for a very long time frequently. And so you can utilize that to bring in other assets around your team to, to build it into something special. And that's why teams are, are often successful when they build through the draft and it's harder to do so otherwise. Now, there are teams, we'll, we'll take the Clippers and the Nets as two examples, who built entirely through basically free agency and trades uh, to get their star players. And I think the Bulls have that window open to them. You look at a team that's able to do something like that and probably the first thing you need to do is win around 40-ish games, get into the playoffs and look like you have a good culture and people have to feel happy with what that is. And then you have to have room for to, to be able to bring in multiple stars or assets to bring in multiple stars. Uh, the Bulls don't really have any projected time frame where they're going to be able to bring in multiple stars uh, and, and have room to do that. So that's probably close to them, but they could bring in one. And I think Chicago is a good enough city that if the climate looked good, uh, that they would attract players. You know, they got Carlos Boozer, they got Ben Wallace, uh, they, they got Pau Gasol to come here for less money. Boozer ended up signing here for less money. Uh, not that he's a star player anyway, but Mike Dunleavy signed here for less money. You know, like people have come here. They like they, I think the city is enough of a draw. It's not LA. It's not New York. Maybe, maybe those cities are a little bit better draw, but it's clearly not Oklahoma city. It's not Charlotte. It's not Milwaukee. Like I, th I think, you know, in a good situation, people will come to Chicago. It, it's probably in the top five of destinations in terms of like markets people would be interested in. You know, I'd say Miami is the other one that probably excites people because it's, uh, you know, such a great beach town and, and in the winter, a very nice, nice place to play. So, you know, it, it, it depends. It's hard to say, but I, I think Chicago does have that option open. Now, salary-wise, they don't really have an opportunity to do that. They didn't really before the trade or after the trade in the immediate future. I mean, they could have maybe moved on from Zach and done some other stuff in a full rebuild that they probably wouldn't do that would have opened that up, but uh, they, they probably don't realistically have that option open to them. So if you look at it now, uh, we're basically looking at, can we trade to bring in another piece? We don't have a lot of trade assets left. I mean, Pat Williams and Kobe White don't look like they're going to have a whole lot of value. I mean, they might still be good players. I'm not going to give up on either guy right now. I mean, there's no reason to, right? Like they're, they're on cheap contracts. You, you just got to see what happens with them. Some guys will develop, some won't. But I don't think any team is looking at them like I'm a Kobe White away from something or I'm a Pat Williams away from something. They would take those guys if they can get them cheap. But I don't think anyone is looking at them like I want to pay top dollar for them. So I don't think we're going to get a lot back for those guys in, in trade. They won't be big pieces. Lowry is a restricted free agent. You probably can't do anything with him anyway. So we'll see how all of the these things are put together. But it, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how how all of these things uh, fit. So we don't have a lot of a lot of assets to trade. Most likely, we can get some cap space. I think that's going to be difficult this year because you have to give up Sato and Thad and Lowry, so you can generate like around 25, 26 million in cap room. And then after you do that, you're replacing three rotation players. You know, guys who can chew up 25, 26 minutes a night at a pretty good level, not maybe elite level, not needle moving level, but good level. You're going to have to replace three rotation players and maybe like 65 minutes a night with that $25 million. Now, if you could get a real star player, obviously that would be fine, but you can't, right? There's no real star player. And if there was, they weren't going to sign for $25 million. So in the end, you're getting someone who's like probably a little bit better than those guys, you hope. And you know, like even the candidates for that are very low. Like it's, it's kind of really like Lonzo Ball or Bust. Uh, in terms of guys you could sign this offseason uh, that maybe will move the needle. And so it is, it's a difficult situation to see how that's going to pan out for anyone. And so I don't think we have a lot of ways to bring anyone into cap space either. And that, so that's going to be an interesting thought. My general plan, if you listen to the big red bus, I think is try and find someone to take Lowry in a sign and trade, use the trade exception to bring in Ricky Rubio. Now Ricky, uh, Thad, and Sato all have one-year deals 
you can then get pretty far under the cap the next year. There's a lot of guys in that, that class. Now, granted, they're mostly going to be 33, but then you can maybe sign one guy, get, get into a push, have three stars. So that's kind of like just hold, hold the fort, do stop gaps this year, and aim for the year after that, give this, you know, this squad some time to build chemistry together and then see where things go. That would kind of be my thought right now. I don't, I don't have a better plan, but not for me to figure out. We'll see what uh, AK uh, has in, in his back pocket to, to figure out. So there's not really a lot of, uh, a lot of options there, in my opinion, that are, are going to be great choices for people to, to, to figure out like how they can, how they can do anything. And we'll see, we'll see what happens there. So now, uh, the, the idea that the bulls have some other great move in the back pocket, I think is really what I'm saying. I, I don't think is, is likely here. I don't think there is any great move in the back pocket. We have now taken a conservative approach. We chose a known short-term asset, uh, that has uh, low upside, uh, but has like kind of high current value instead of while we're trying to make a big leap forward, gambling on high risk, high reward assets. So we've gone actually conservative in terms of our approach towards building things by taking a known quantity with kind of like, you know, declining ability. And, uh, and, and we're going to try and fit there. We don't have an obvious way that we can bring in another piece. People are just saying like, yeah, we're, I trust these guys to figure something out. Like instead of really trying to evaluate like what is possible, I mean, there's really not a lot possible. Like if you are a Lonzo Ball fan, I think there's a lot of Lonzo Ball fans out there. If you had to bring in Lonzo Ball at the cost of Sato, Thad, and Lowry, like how do you think Lonzo Ball is, is going to be better than the impact of all three of those guys combined? And like the rest of the guys you're going to add are going to be at the the minimum, or you're going to be able to use the, the mini mid-level exception. Like that's who else you're going to, you're going to bring in like that. That seems really dicey to me. Uh, I think you also have to get rid of temple in this scenario too. And maybe you'd get rid of, rid of him anyway. Like I, like I, I think Lonzo balls, he's had a nice season this year and I, and I think he could help the bulls, but I think it's going to be really difficult for him to replace three rotation players. Like even if he's say he's better than all three of those guys, like, I don't know if he's way better than all these guys. So I, I think that that is a, a very dicey, dicey outcome. So we'll see how, how that, uh, that, that fits out. But so there's not really an obvious way to do that. And now here's the, the second fallacy I think people have here with, with Vucevic is people's expectations about how good he is seem way off. And so here's the thing that I see commonly quoted. He's a 25, 11, and 4 player. Like I see that thrown at me all the time. One, he's not. So like first, let's just look. He's like in Orlando, he's 24 and a half. He's averaging around 24 a game now, not, not 25. And, and not that that's a big deal, one point here or there. But Here's the thing, like this is a small sample size as like his, his stats in this partial season. If we go back and look at Vooch over the last three and a half seasons, and this is like age 27 to age 30. So this is like really his prime, his four years of his prime. His averages over that point in time are around 20.3 points per game, 56% true shooting percentage. I think like reasonably that's the Vucevic you should expect that you're getting, don't you? Like, do you really want to say that I'm going to take this like 30 game sample from when he's 30 years old and say that this is who he is when it's an outlier towards the rest of his prime of his career. Like you think that's what's going to be there. And so when I look at that, I'm like, all right, here's a guy who's average efficiency and scores around 20 points a game. That's valuable. Like I'm not saying it's not valuable. And I think Vooch is a good player. Like I don't think Vooch is a bad player. I think he's a good player, but it is not this like when you start throwing him this like 25 point per game efficiency, efficient score, he's not that. You know, even at 25 points a game, he's not an efficient score. So a 25 point per game efficient score, which is kind of like where Zach Levine's at, that's actually quite a bit more valuable than what Vucevic is doing for you because he doesn't have the efficiency 
and he doesn't quite have the volume historically. Now, if he can maintain that 25 points a game or near that, I'd, I'd feel a little bit better about him. But like, I don't really think that that's likely to happen. I mean, you have this three and a half year sample size over his prime of his career, which should be his best four years. And that's not what he's averaging. Like, I think it's very dangerous for a guy who's played huge minutes for 10 years to assume that this like very small sample size is what you're going to get going forward rather than looking at like what is really kind of his production over, you know, this period of his prime. Like, is it likely that he's going to get better? And I, I don't think it is. Now, secondly, like Vooch doesn't move the needle. Like if you look at Orlando and they, they've not had good talent around them, there's reasons you can argue why this wasn't the case that he never moved the needle and he struggled and blah, blah, blah. Like, absolutely. There's absolutely reasons. But he has only been to the playoffs twice. He's got two total playoff game wins. The most he's ever won in a season is 42 wins, and it's the only time he crossed 40. Uh, it is like the average, of, if I eyeballed it, was probably around like 30 wins a season for his career. Like that's not really someone you should be counting on to move the needle here, right? And so when we talk about Vuce, it's fine to say that this is a good player. But when I talk about Vuce, I say he's like a Thad Young type impact player. He's better offensively than Thad Young, but he's very poor defensively, and he's very poor at the most important defensive position. And so that's very hard to build your offense around. The other thing is, you know, as he's become more perimeter-oriented, you know, he's a guy that's a little bit harder to fit in your offense. And this can be good or bad. Like when you have a guy that kind of stands out and plays very differently than, than a traditional player his position would, you know, it creates uh, mismatch problems on offense for the other team because they're not used to having their centers pulled out and having to defend him. But then it also creates like complexity on your team because you need very specific players to fit next to him because now he's taking up space that typically a guard would take up and a guard can't really just go hang out in the post. So like there, it, there's like different complexities that, that happen with that that sometimes can work in your favor and sometimes can work against you. Uh, so we'll see how the Bulls are able to do that. Uh, one thing I want to add here is when looking at this, and I think this, this is a good reason why, because I think the Bulls are struggling with that right now, like having the role players fit in their, their spaces. Like Vooch and Zach have actually performed, I think, reasonably well together but like the other players then haven't been able to figure things out and part of that is practice and part of this is what I've said so my opinion of why I don't really like this trade has nothing to do with the short-term results I didn't like it when it was made I, I was waiting around to see and I, you know what they've not had time to practice Zach is now out like I think you can almost throw the results now going forward out the window if, if Zach's out for an extended period of time due to COVID uh, so this isn't about that. This isn't about like what will what has happened in the short term. Now we do need obviously to get short term positive impact, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen this season. But that's okay if if we make good impact this next season or the season after. That's okay that we didn't get the immediate impact this season. And if we don't get positive impact in the next two seasons, then obviously we got absolutely destroyed on this trade, uh, which is why I established my win criteria, which is second round of playoffs just once. That's my win criteria for this trade. If, we, if that happens for us, it should be good. One thing to also consider is it doesn't matter what happens for Orlando. Like I know people will gauge the trade on whether or not Orlando drafted great players or not. It doesn't matter because if the Bulls had those picks, there's no reason to think they'd take the same guys Orlando would. Maybe we draft better. Maybe we draft worse. Maybe they draft a star. We may not have taken that guy and they might do great from this trade and we might not have done great if we didn't make this trade. And maybe they take a bum and people say like, yeah, we would have drafted this bum anyway. But if we had that pick, we might have taken someone who was a star. You just don't know. So what's important here is it doesn't matter actually what happens with Orlando going forward. It only matters what happens with us. People will, will look at it and decide whether it was good or bad based on what happens with Orlando. But going forward, the trade's over. So we only care now really what happens with the Chicago Bulls. We don't care what happens with Orlando. If Orlando gets the fifth pick in the draft, it doesn't make this trade better or worse necessarily. It's just like you know, we have to figure out how to build with what we have now. Like, so anyway, 
aside there. Uh, just com common, common thing there. Only focus on what's going on with the bulls going forward from, the, from this move. Uh, so anyway, our expectations, I think, with Vooch are a little high. Like people, people think he's a better player. I've never heard anyone talk about Vucevic as this great player until he came to Chicago. And now Bulls fans just think he's like much better than he is because he's in the midst of like a very good run. But I just, I just don't think we should set our expectations that high. The next, uh, the next thing I think I hear people say all the time is we now have two all-stars. And so here's the thing that I want to try to coach everyone on. Don't say we have two all-stars. Like you can say it, it's fine. It's, it's factually accurate. But we have two players that we can talk about their individual strengths and weaknesses very specifically, which is Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic. And we can try and figure out like what does that really mean uh, for these players and uh, how good they are. Now, when you say two all-stars, you're actually taking two very specific players and you're genericizing who they are into the term all-star. Why would you do that in a conversation? Well, the main reason people do that is because by saying to all-stars, it makes it sound like we have a much, much better set of players to build around than we really do. Go look at the 28 people who are all-stars this year and tell me how many combinations you think there are that would be worse than Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic if you, if you selected any two players at random. I'd say it's less than 5%. Like, I mean, they're like probably the two bottom guys on, I mean, I think Zach's better than a few people on there. Vooch has maybe the worst all-star on there, like the second worst. I mean, like almost any combination, there's like 378 possible combinations. I ran some math on that earlier. I just didn't like know that off the top of my head. 378 possible combinations. I'd say there's no more than like 30 that are worse. I mean, like you're, you're talking like 92% of the combinations are going to be better. So when you take something that's specific and you make it generic, and then the generic version of that, like in your head is much, much better than the specific version. It's a way of inflating the value of this. Like, ah, we have two all-stars. This is amazing. Well, yeah, generally it's amazing. Like if you took the average of two all-stars, you'd probably have a heck of a team, but that's not what we have here. It really isn't. And so when people say that, it's a way to try to inflate the, the talent of what we've actually done in a way that isn't accurate. I mean, it's factually accurate that these guys both did make this achievement, but when you start looking at like the median value of two all-stars, it's much, much higher than the median value of our two all-stars, or I shouldn't say the median value, the actual value of our two all-stars. And so I think that's like one of these ways people try to feel better about this by thinking things are going to be different. And so here's some other challenges we're going to have to overcome. We have this timeline thing. Like Zach is still probably has like, we'll say five, six years kind of of his prime. We're going to have to get a new contract with him in a couple of years. If we sign him to a max deal, I think we'll, we'll, we'll be in good shape as long as he stays healthy through that whole contract. And then who knows where we'll be after that. But we probably got like six years on Zach. You know, Vooch, I think, probably has about two years. And I expect each of those to get slightly worse. Not like a huge drop off. I don't think he's a guy who's threatening to fall off the cliff. It could happen. Some guys around this age, especially centers who are like 270 pounds, like I, I think can happen. Uh, the fact that he's a shooter should make his offense stay a little bit more consistent. Uh, defensively, like get big guys who get even slower. I think that's always a big problem. You've heard me talk before. Athleticism is always an issue. People say like, ah, oh, this guy's game isn't based on athleticism. And there could be some truth to that. But athleticism always kills you defensively, and it still always limits what you can do offensively. Like that pump fake is no longer like effective if if you don't have like speed or quickness to go with it, or you can't you can't make that move around the basket as you slow down a little bit anymore uh, because guys strip the ball away. Like athleticism still always matters some. So don't fall in that narrative like ah, athleticism doesn't matter. There's a reason there's no 50 year old guys playing in the NBA right now. Like <laughs> who are just amazing shooters, right? Like Kyle Korver at 50 ain't gonna be in the league. 
like athleticism still does matter, even if even if you have like this shooting skill. So we'll see how we'll see how that goes. But there's like a short timeline here, so you have to figure out how to make this move work. And so that's one of the challenges you have. And I discussed a little earlier, like it's going to be difficult to figure out a way to make this work with cap room this year, uh, because you have to give up so much just to to get cap room, and you still don't have max, and there's still not really any great great guys to choose from. And you know, if you if you push it out a year later, like there might be options. Uh, it's tough because most of those guys will be in the 10-year plus vet max, and we won't be able to probably generate that much cap room. So it'll be it'll be challenging. We don't have a lot of trade assets. I mean, we we've given up uh, the way we gave up our picks means we can't really trade a lot of picks until you you go out uh, further into the timeline. So it becomes becomes very challenging to figure out how to, how to do that. And our, our other players don't really have a lot of value right now. So it's going to be very difficult to figure out what the next move is within these. And then, you know, like I said, Vooch isn't like a true star. He's not a need to move it. The next thing is these guys really, like, do you think they have synergy together? So sometimes you bring two guys together and they have a synergy that allows them to both be better than they were apart, right? Like they, they operate together in a way that, 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 allows them to be even better. Sometimes you bring two talents together and their talent actually conflicts with each other and, and they're less than the sum of their parts. And you know, sometimes it's just kind of like about the same. So when you look at these guys, do you think they have any special synergy? And on offense, I'm not really sure that they do. You know, like maybe I could see where a, a Zach Vooch pick and roll is going to be like almost always yield a pretty good shot. And so in that sense, I think there's some synergy there. Uh, I think it's complicated a little bit, as I said, with like how difficult it is to, to find where the role players are. But I think there is some offensive synergy to unlock there i think that's a that can be a very potentially dangerous uh combination you know and uh it's it's odd to me that we weren't able to really unlock that with the lowry zach pick and roll for whatever reason because like lowry actually is should theoretically be a good three-point shooter he's got a good true shooting percentage doesn't really create a lot but he is a guy i think in a pick and roll like you would expect to be pretty valuable and i've been down on lowry because that hasn't materialized right like we've we would have expected that to materialize, but for whatever reason, it hasn't materialized. Now, Vooch, I think, can set a hell of a screen compared to Lowry, just a much bigger dude and, and, and whatnot. And then he's, he's uh, I, I think, probably a much bigger threat inside the paint uh, and also uh, maybe even a bigger threat outside the three-point line as well. So Vooch is just a clearly better player. You know, no, no arguments there. Uh, but there is some offensive potential synergies there. Now, defensively, uh, we have, I don't know what the opposite of synergy is here, but we have like negative, uh, a very negative situation because these are both really bad defenders. And you look at like most all-stars and most of the time when you have uh, two all-stars, like most of these guys are really great on one side of the court. Like athleticism is a pretty key piece. This is actually maybe not as true as it was in the past because now you have a lot of guys who are all-stars due to pure shooting. But usually guys who are like great athletically and have the ability to kind of like get to all three phases uh, on offense and, and can get to the rim, can get to the mid-range, get shoot threes. Like usually guys like that are also athletic enough and, uh, and then physically imposing enough that they play good defense as well. But, uh, you know, Zach is not a good defender. Uh, I, I wonder if it's just strength, maybe his short arms. It feels like he should be a good defender. I know we've, we've beaten that one a lot. A lot of it seems like it's mental. I, I still think he's getting better and can get better. Actually, I'm pretty high on Zach Levine overall, as you know from listening to the show in the past. Uh, Vucevic is, is like really one of the worst defenders in the league at his position. Uh, he's slow. He, he doesn't really block a lot of shots. He does have a big body. He's a good defensive rebounder. I don't think that's actually that important. Uh, I don't think rebounding is a very key stat. It's a trailing indicator. Usually uh, there's not a really a big gap in like defensive rebound posi- uh, percentage from like the best and worst teams in the league. Like if you just have adequate rebounders like that, Generally, there's very, very little advantage between that and having like a, a great rebounder on your team. But he is a good rebounder. Uh, no, no doubts there. I think he will help the Bulls defensive rebounding. Not a great offensive rebounder, uh, just probably lack of quickness. But 
But defensively, this becomes a, a very poor situation because now Vucevic is a very bad defender at the most important defensive position. And then Zach is a, a bad defender in the perimeter. Like you pretty much need everyone else on the team to be a really good uh, defensive player. And you need someone who can kind of defend big guys in the paint. Though maybe if you have like a really big, big guy who's just like slow and big, like, you know, Vucevic is going to be fine on him. I don't think, I don't think anyone's going to have uh, the ability to defend an Embiid on this team uh, better than Vooch really just, and, and we're not going to get like play two centers. Like we're not going to get like a athletic seven foot guy to play next to Vooch. Like that, that would cause you probably more other problems. So it's, it's interesting, but it's, it's really going to be difficult to build even an average defense around these two guys as kind of your star players. You know, typically, when you have a star player, like at least one of these guys is going to be you know, a defensive-oriented star player. Now, you know, James Harden can't play defense. At best, he's like an average defender. My hope for uh, Zach Levine is that he becomes a James Harden-like player. I've posited before, like, it's not crazy that would happen. He has the athleticism uh, to get to the rim. He, he just needs to really improve the ball handling enough that he can just get guys on skates like Harden can. If he was able to do that, and, and then I think he would really, really uh, have something there because I think he could develop the step back and all the other shots he needs in, in his bag to become this like really elite scorer. And that to me is still probably the most likely scenario that you see the Bulls take a big step forward is that Zach Levine continues to make iterative improvements and those iterative improvements cause a big impact. It's a huge, huge jump this year for Zach to go from kind of like a volume score, which is what uh, I would de- define Vucevic is, a volume score, like gets you a lot of points, but only average efficiency. Uh, going from that to being like a, an elite type score where he's, he's getting you tons of points and high efficiency and Zach's made that leap this year he needs to continue that and then get a little better at it even and if he does you know then he could become this guy really is a franchise type player and if you do that then maybe having Vucevic helps but like I said you're gonna need a very specific set of people against him and Pat Williams becomes like really uh, the, the key component in all of this and, and Pat's not played well recently but Pat becomes the very key component because he's the guy who theoretically could be your, your glue guy very strong defender could be versatile defend a lot of different players in a lot of different positions and maybe just become solid on offense, you know, shoot threes and also attack and, and, and give you some options on offense, you know. And if he does that, then he could either be the guy that's the key piece in a trade to bring in a third star, or he is the guy that helps you out. Like, I, like either way, Pat Williams is kind of the key. The Bulls' best case scenario, obviously, is that Pat and Kobe and anyone on the roster, still Troy Brown, whoever you want to name, anyone on the roster going forward makes big leaps forward uh, out of their young players and then has more value on the trade market or has more value to the team. Like that's what the Bulls are going to need. They're going to need to get lucky in some way to do that. And so when I add all of that up and I go through all those things, you know, really it just comes down to, to me, Vooch isn't as good as most people are selling him as. Uh, the defensive lack of synergy between these guys and the, the overall impact on that side of the court. Like, I don't think, I think offense is harder to find and more important to find than defense, but both are equally valuable in the end product of trying to win a, win a championship. Like there's not teams who are like, oh, I'm the number one offense efficiency team and my defense is 15th and I won a title. Like that would be very uncommon. Like I'm not saying it could never happen, but it would be very uncommon. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets might test that this year. But it would be very uncommon. Like typically you need to be like very good on both. Now, I think it's easier to become very good on defense than it is on offense. Offense, you need elite skill players to do that. Defense is more of a team concept effort and, and you know, whatever. So, uh, but, but the lack of defensive synergy there is going to be difficult to overcome. You're going to need very particular players. The fact that Vooch plays in sort of like an anomaly type way and not like other players in the league also is going to make it uh, difficult to build around him. Like he's not a guy, there's like tons of guys in the league that are going to fit like super well next to necessarily and that you're going to everyone's going to just fall into their natural niche next to him 
Uh, and then you need uh, you need strong development by Pat Williams right away, pretty much to either improve the team or to be used as a trade asset going forward. And then you have to have all this coalesce inside two and a half years. Uh, I think that's going to be really difficult. And then when I look at what I gave up, it's like probably we'll say, you know, three starting caliber players is, is like how I would basically say this. Like three low-rung starting caliber players is probably the average of what I gave up. You know, like three guys who are low-rung starters, you know, and fill out your team, three rotation players. But also probably a cumulative 20% or so chance that I gave up on one guy who's a star player, a fr- maybe maybe in a franchise-changing player, uh, you know, with those two picks, like a 20% chance at that cumulatively. And, you know, I'm like, that's a pretty big chance, you know, to like, to, to go where? Like, you know, like if, if this all works out, like how high do you see the ceiling? And like I said, I, I think the ceiling right now is you kind of went all in, you traded all your high risk, high return assets, all the things that would allow you to make a really big jump forward. You traded all of those in when you're like a 35-ish win team, 32 to, say we'll say 32 to 38 games type or 30 to 38 games type team. You, you, you made this move to go from that to like, say you added five wins and now you're a 35 to 43 win team. Like that's, that's like a really low ceiling to make this all in type of move for It's a very conservative move in that sense. Like you, you really lo- you raised your floor a decent amount. Like theoretically, we have not actually seen that play out on the court yet, but I believe we did. I believe we raised our floor. Uh, we raised our floor theoretically, but like, I, I don't know where the ceiling is now. Like I, I think I feel like we lowered our ceiling a lot too and, and pulling this, this trade off. And so that is, that's kind of like a, how, how I view this trade and, and how I go through it and, Maybe that that better explains my my opinion than 140 character tweets. Uh, so you can still uh, disagree with me, and we'll see we'll see how things go. Uh, I want to now touch on a few other things, and you know I know you've been listening for a long time, and I appreciate it already. So uh, the next thing I want to touch on is is Coach Billy Donovan. Uh, you know, this was a hire that I think we all thought was a pretty good hire, and I, l- I look at Donovan and I'm like, I would say he's not a top 10 coach, but he's not a bottom 10 coach. He's like in the the, the 10 to 20 range, and I, I I thought that when we made the hire, I think that now. Uh, I don't know if we would have been better off if we took one of these hot assistants. Like, yeah, I don't know that we would. Like, he's he's obviously connected with the players. You know, Thad Young said he was on the verge of retirement last year uh, under Boylan and, and feels like tons better. So obviously, regardless of the results, which are also better, like they are better right now, right? Despite this awful stretch they're going through right now, the results are better. Uh, so, you know, he, he has improved the team uh, working with pretty similar similar talent. So, you know, I think, I think he's helped. Um, but he's got problems. Like, I really dislike the drop defense we played. I've talked about it a number of times in the past. And so here's the thing, thing I hate about it. Like, you got a guy, you got two guards, and Zach Levine and Kobe White, who aren't great at fighting through screens. And you pick, like, literally the only defense possible where they have to fight through the screen every single time. And then you think about the total wear that is on a guy like Zach Levine, who's also carrying a massive amount of your offensive load. And then you're asking him to also carry, like, just run through screens all day long. Like, that just seems like just like an awful idea, doesn't it? Like, you could switch, you could hedge, you could do a bunch, go under the screen, you could do like almost anything else. Like, you could go zone. Like, almost anything else is not going to put so much pressure on Zach defensively. And so I think like that's, that's a kind of a mistake. And I don't think we have a big that's really great at playing the drop defense. Like, Wendell Carter went from looking like a great defensive player to a train wreck in this scheme. And so I, I just feel like this, this defensive system, while I know it can work and with the right personnel and, and things like that, like I, I don't think it fit our personnel and I don't think it was a good idea for us. And I don't think that has, I think that's proven out actually so far and how we've, we've watched the defense. I don't think it's been good. And people will say like Boylan had way better defensive options. Like it really isn't true. If you go looking at the total amount of minutes that like Harrison and Dunn played, like it wasn't so much. 
And like outside of that, I, I wouldn't say they have better any, any better defensive options on that team than this team. Uh, you know, and then Temple has been a, a very strong defender and has played a good chunk of minutes. So like, I, I really don't think that uh, the system is that good. And then offensively, like I, I think right now, like he just doesn't make a lot of adjustments. And so I go back to what I said before. This is a guy who's great at player relationships. I think players like him. They want to play hard for him. I think they do play hard for him. I think they care. Uh, I think he's, he's good at managing a lot of things. But uh, there's definitely some weaknesses here too. And I, like, I don't think this was a home run type of hire. And it'll be interesting to see how long it takes for people to turn on Donovan if, if these same types of things continue to be problems you know, going on uh, you know, towards the season. And same with AK and ME. You know, like Eversley and, and Karnaschovas, like, uh, people were like, like thought they hit a bunch of home runs. Like People were ecstatic about all the stuff they've done. But at the end of the season, like right now, we're kind of like hurtling towards either the best case outcome for the Bulls or the worst case outcome. Uh, but we're hurtling down the standings. And, you know, if we fall to where we give like the five, six, seven pick to Orlando, like it doesn't really impact the trade in the sense of like we only have to care about the Bulls. But like, you know, like if that happens and we, we give up, like, say, the number seven pick in the draft and then that ends up being a good player. And then, you know, like. Patrick Williams, like people are super high in him. Like, I don't know. He's not panned out so great so far. Like if he doesn't, if he doesn't like explode into a good player, like you could just be like, yeah, our number four pick wasn't that good. And this was a weird draft. So I wouldn't blame him even if so. Uh, he made a really short term kind of move that, that was a ceiling capper and a floor raiser at a point where like, we really should have been not worried about raising our floor. Cause it was already you know pretty low and we didn't raise it by enough. Like I don't know. Like, it would not surprise me if in a year and a half, like, pretty much everyone around here is like, we need to get rid of Donovan. We need to get rid of Karnaschovas. We need to get rid of Eversley. Like, it would not surprise me if in a year and a half, like, the fan base completely turns on all this because there's a good chance we are hurtling towards disaster. Now, if we win uh, the lottery, and by winning the lottery, I mean just moving up anywhere into the top four, there's a very good chance that the Chicago Bulls could have the best case scenario. We will have improved our talent a lot with Vucevic. Uh, raising our floor, and then we will draft a player who looks like a star player or someone we could move legitimately for a star player. Like if we had like the number one pick in this draft, I think you could absolutely trade that to get a, a, a star player and a higher level all-star than, than, than the guys we have now. Like if Giannis bows out in the second round again, and you start talking about like, yeah, we'll give you the number one pick in the draft where there's guys people feel have superstar talent, like Milwaukee might not be able to do better than that. You know, like there might be real options on the, on the table or same for like Kawhi Leonard uh, or Pascal Siakam or someone, you know, Siakam's maybe a little bit worse. Uh, but either way, you, you could get like a real, real upgrade or you could keep that player and hope they become a star for you. So I do think there there might be options if that happens. And we're hurtling towards like these these two kind of extreme ends of like, yeah, we, we either gave up like a more va- much more valuable pick than we expected because uh, I didn't think I didn't think the pick we would give up would be worse than nine. Like I thought there's no way we're going to, you know, fall in the standings after this trade, I think we'll be better after it. And uh, with Zach's injury, that, that there's a very big risk that we're going to continue to fall. And, uh, you know, that also, though, gives us a better chance of moving up in the draft and, and to the point where we get to keep the pick, which is the best case scenario. So be interesting to see how that happens. If we don't end up moving up, though, I would not be surprised if this whole thing falls apart pretty quickly because it's, it's going to be really difficult uh, to find the other moves that are going to make a difference for this team. Anyway, that will do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat. Also, uh, please remember to check out the Big Red Bus, which I do at Fred Pfeiffer, uh, if you enjoy listening to me, because I'm having a hard time getting this one out there, but still try to get a couple for you. And I'll talk to you guys as soon as I can.